believers saw martyrdom as a good thing, as something to seek out and be proud of. Now, obviously, no one wanted to die, but they saw that they truly believed the gospel at the end of the day, right? I mean, they truly believed that which, they truly lived that which they believed. And so they saw it as the greatest honor to be able to die for God. The video doesn't mention this, but having done some more reading on it, the she, because a lot of people afterwards said, I remember them asking me, they said, well, wouldn't that technically be suicide since she killed herself, you know, and then she wouldn't go to heaven? So she had been stabbed already, so the, guy, the guard was a, a, a new guard, but they, they didn't, uh, you know, want to kill her with one blow, so they had stabbed her between the bones, and I'm not sure what that means from the writing that I read, but it was, a, it was to inflict pain, and he was sent in to finish her off, but he was a new gladiator, and he hesitated, and because even for him, it was a, a barbaric thing, right, to, to kill this uh, young mother. You know, he didn't want to do it. Um, but ultimately, she didn't fear death. And she, as he hesitated, she grabbed his own sword and put her throat to it. And this led to... People, remember, our arenas, our sports games are violent, and we like football players hitting hard, and we like, you know, they, we, we used to like seeing the baseball guys take out the catcher at home plate, right, and they change the rules, and we're like, oh, don't change the rules, because we like to see that sort of thing. But in the Roman world, it was much worse, right? They would send people to be killed, to be eaten by beasts. Um, but even they, even they, who had a high tolerance for for pain and for death and just for, for, for violence, uh, it began to be hard to stomach seeing people killed in this way. And it began to bring about just doubt in what they were doing. And so the, whole, the, the reality of, of the Christian life, as we see around us, is not just a testimony in how we live or in what we say, but it's both in life and in death. Right, And it was really the martyr's death that brought the will of the government, the will of those who oppose the Christians, uh, to an end. Right? They were hoping to frighten and fear the Christians into submission, but it didn't work. And ultimately, they just lost heart and lost will. And eventually, Christianity would be made legal under Constantine, it wasn't made the state religion. Sometimes people say, you know, Constantine started the state Christianity and made it a state church, and that's not necessarily true. His mother was a Christian. He made it legal. It wasn't until after Constantine that the Christians became the state religion. But the point being, it went from being a persecuted group of, of, of Jews at first and spread to Gentiles into, within a few hundred years, it had spread through the whole empire. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs was the seed or is the seed of the church. Their blood planted and spread the church because it wasn't just their ideology. There was a lot of ideologies in their day and there still are. But it was those who were not only willing to live but willing to die for that which they believed in. 
in Matthew, as I said, Matthew 6, continuing on with our final section here of the Lord's Prayer. I don't know where I, oh, there we go, I have my clicker here, just to make sure we stay on point. We see here in Matthew 6, we'll read it since we're going through the, every part of it. Our Father, in fact, let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And the next time you guys will have to remember the last line, which you've been making it for the ki- easy for the kids to, to memorize, and we end with deliver us from the evil one. Um, but this final phrase that we see in Matthew is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it, it's a closing doxology. This is something that closes out the Lord's Prayer. Remember, he tells us not to pray and babble like the pagans do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. That's what he tells them. But he tells them to pray in this manner. And it encompasses just a few basic elements, right? The, the, the praise of God, the hallowing of his name, or, or, or saying, blessed, set apart be your name, right? Praying for his kingdom to come, praying for his will to be done. And we want that reflection of heaven to be in earth, right? That's what we say, as, as on earth as it is in heaven. We're looking for the divine, heavenly reality of God's rule and reign to meet our earthly reality. And then there is this part where we ask God to meet our needs. Most of us just jump there, though. When we pray, we just jump to, Lord, give me this. We miss the other aspects, right? But there is that, that, that portion where it says, give us our daily bread, meet our needs, right? And, we're, and James says we ask not, or we have not because we ask not, right? So there is a, a, an aspect that we should pray, and we went over this before, but we should pray for not only spiritual things, but for temporal things. And by temporal, we mean temporary, things that we need here and now, bread today, Toilet paper, right? That's the big one right now. Then I don't know if we should actually pray for that, but we might have to put a monitor by the library door, make sure no one's still in the rolls there. But we should pray for our daily needs, right? And then as we went over a few weeks ago, then we also, as the Lord provides our needs, we ask him to forgive us. And we also, as people who have been forgiven, we too forgive. We too turn toward a heart of forgiveness. And then we ask for the Lord, as Pastor Ray shared last week, not to allow us to succumb to temptation, to not give in to the evil or the evil one, but rather to be delivered from those things, from temptation, from evil. And this final phrase, for yours is the kingdom. This this. Again, it's a, it's a statement of praise, but it's 
again proclaiming it's his kingdom, it's his power, and it's God's glory forever. So if we can make one point of this, right, it would be all things for the glory of God. Can you say that? Abby, can you say that? Help everybody say it together. Let's say it together. All things for the glory of God. All right. Remind your mom and dad of that when we go home, okay? Whatever they do afterwards, just say, remember, all things for the glory of God. All right. All things, right? In prayer, in life, in where we go, and what we see, and what we do. Even in death. That our, whether it's at 40 or 100, that our life and death Right, would be glorifying. We would just live till our dying day is a better way of saying it, for the glory of God. Now, all prayer, you know, as we, as we close this section on prayer, all prayer should be God-centered and Christ-focused. All right? So it's not about us. We do pray for our needs. We do pray for people. We intercede for people and things. But we must remember that our prayer is to be centered on God's glory, on God's kingdom. All things for the glory of God. And it's not just, uh, as sometimes people say, I thank God every day. It's not just thanking God, but it's God-centered, but it's Christ-focused. Thanking God for what he's done in Christ for us. Sending his son to redeem us, right? To redeem mankind, going to the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. We, we, our prayer is focused on Christ's work because we realize that apart from Christ, apart from our trust and repentance in Christ, that we deserve no good thing. We deserve no prayer answered from God. But God hears our prayers and answers our prayers because we're in Christ. Amen? And so, too often today, prayer is just devolved into a self-centered pursuit. It's devolved into much of what Jesus said was pagan. It was like the pagans, right? Just, just saying words, thinking if I pray for five hours over and over a certain mantra that it'll happen. Unfortunately, even in, in, within Christian traditions, I, I remember growing up and being told to say, well, if you did this wrong, say 50 Hail Marys, Right? You're just saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying them over. And, and, and you're not even thinking about what you're saying. You're just trying to get through it because you think by saying enough of them, you know, you'll never sin again, right? You know? but then you just get good at saying stuff. So you're like, I'll just say 50 Hail Marys, right? You know? And it loses what the intent was. And it could even be our fathers because a lot of times, right, if a lot of you guys grew up uh, Roman Catholic and you'd say our fathers or Hail Marys. And, and, and the prayer itself, there's nothing wrong with it. And that's why a lot of times Protestants will say, hey, we don't pray the Hail Mary because that's a Catholic thing. Well, no, it's a biblical thing, right? We see it right here in the Scripture. And Jesus commands us to pray like that. And just because sometimes people miss the meaning or, or, or don't, aren't thinking about what they're saying, right, uh, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the prayer itself or for us to even pray it or for us to pray it continually. I think these are all things we should do because it keeps us, it grounds us from being focused on self in our prayer to focus on what Christ has actually said we should pray for and how we should glorify him. And so, ultimately, our prayer must be not bless me, 
prosperity prayer, but Lord, bless your name. May I live a life. Give me the power and strength to live a life to bless your name. Help me to be a person who brings about your will, who lives out your kingdom will for this world. And as I said, we do pray for things because there are certain things outside of our control that we need, right? Bread, milk, just the basics right now with what's the craziness that's going on in stores, right? And uh, whether it's times like this or times of plenty, uh, sometimes there's plenty of stuff on the store, but we don't have the money to buy it, right? You know, that's the real crisis right there. And uh, there's, we have to decide what to buy, what to not buy. And, and I'm sure every one of you have been there at some point. And that's where it's, it's truly trusting God in those times, truly praying to God in those times, not just to meet our needs, but help us glorify him in this time of, of drought, if you will, this time with where we're going without. It's easy when everything is going good and your bank account has extra money and your kids are obedient and the sun's shining, there's no viruses. It's very easy, right, to come to church and praise God then. But when you're in the arena, so to speak, of life, right, and you know you got to go out there and face the wild beast, that you got to face Satan, that's when it becomes a true battle. And her, in the video we watched in Perpetua's dream there of saying, I, there's a realization, right, that the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places. And so she recognized that this war wasn't against the gladiators or the wild beasts, but rather was truly against Satan, that which is the accuser of the brethren, the one who seeks to kill our testimony, who seeks to bring us into sin, who seeks to bring us into fear, ultimately. right? As we pray this prayer, we're, we're praying for the power and the strength to glorify God in the midst of fear, in the midst of trials, in the midst of turmoil and chaos. But we have to trust, ultimately, what we see here in this prayer, which is ultimately God's sovereignty. For yours is the kingdom. That's what we're saying, right, in this prayer here. For yours is the kingdom. God is sovereign. The prayer asserts that it's both not us, but God that possesses and presides over his kingdom, over all things. He is the sovereign king who exercises supreme authority and unrestricted rule, unrestricted reign. And so we shouldn't think of his kingdom just simply as a spiritual one, right? I mean, we should think of his kingdom as a spiritual one. I don't want to not say that, but the, 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 his spiritual kingdom, the, the, the arms, if you will, extend through every facet of the universe. And that's why the great uh, Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper could say, there's not a single square inch of the universe in which Christ doesn't yell, mine. So oftentimes we, we look at the world around us and we, we look at and say, well, this world's the devil's, I'm just waiting for heaven. 
And there's a certain element of truth to that. If we look around, we see that the devil is at work. And the scripture even calls the devil the god of this world. Right? But when it's talking about the god of this world, he's talking about the worldly powers, the worldly kingdoms, the worldly authorities. But the, world, the earth itself, right, is the Lord's and all that's in it, as is, 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 is the psalm says, right? Everything in the world is the Lord's and all that's in it. And so, of course, that which is evil doesn't belong to God. He rejects it. But we have to remember that God is indeed sovereign even, over, even in turmoil, even in chaos, even in times of drought and sickness and disease of which we're seeing now. And I hate to even say seeing now because we're not even seeing that much of it, but we're hearing a lot about it, right? So I don't want to be one that jumps the gun and brings about fear when it's unnecessary. But the reality is, is people are afraid. Um, you know, in, in a certain sense, we should be wise and concerned in how we deal with these things. I had a friendly text the other day. Uh, I've seen people be all over the place on this topic. Is there anybody in here who doesn't know what we're talking about with the coronavirus that's been sheltered and hasn't watched the news? Okay, good. Everybody knows. Sometimes, you know, with the modern world, like kids are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even watch the news, and I'm just talking to my friends, you know, and you're like, who's the president? I don't even know. I think this one's spread, though. I don't think there's any way you're getting around this, especially because the kids got off school. So if you didn't know, now you know something's crazy going on, right? Um, but I, I had a friend in Texas who was a train conductor, you know, and he has to move these big cargo ships in and out, and uh, he got some cargo from China. And I said, are you worried about getting that cargo from China? And he sent me a picture of him licking the cargo ship. And he said, this is how, this is how afraid I am of coronavirus, right? And I said, wow, there's a guy of faith right there. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, again, I'm not sure that's necessarily wise. I wouldn't say just go out there, because at a certain point, we could be testing the Lord, right? To just say, hey, I don't care, and I'm going to walk on the street, and cars will have to dodge around me because I'm just trusting in God. But there's a certain point where we do what we live with wisdom, as the Scripture tells us, right? To be wise as doves or um, wise as serpents, innocence as, as doves. So we live out those biblical principles to be wise, to, to live for the Lord. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've got to trust God, right? We, we have to, there's so many, if we just look at all the parables throughout Scripture, not all of them, but many, are pointing to these people that planned, right? Or had, a, had something set up and it didn't work out like they planned, you know, because they didn't trust in God. <clears throat> Let's look at Matthew 10, 28 here. He's, Jesus says this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more value than many Sparrows. Amen. And so we see in there, we see in there uh, this reality that we're not to fear those who can kill this body. The reality is is that we're all going to die. Of course, we don't want to die before our time. Of course, we don't want to be stupid. 
As I've often said, when people have this attitude of YOLO, you only live once, I've often pointed out to them, you only die once too, so you need to be careful with how you're living, right? So there is that reality. But, you know, and I didn't, obviously this, kind of, this topic kind of lines up with just what's going on. I didn't plan for it to be like this. But uh, if you've been outside and you've been around, and I was you know, in the schools last week, you could see something is different. People are scared, people are panicked, and they don't know where to put their trust. And now's a great time for the church to tell them. And so, you know, I, I pray we get this right as a church because a lot of what I'm seeing is, is um, out there, just media, social media, is, uh, I don't want to put anybody on blast, but I'm saying there, there's a lot of people I'm seeing living in fear, whether they say it or not. You know, uh, you guys heard about it, you know, People are calling me, are we canceling tomorrow? All the churches are canceling, you know, this and that. And uh, ultimately, you know, people need to be wise. If you're sick, stay home. Wash your hands. Yeah, we're not going to pass around the offering. We'll have it over there on the table. So all the, you know, we sanitize everything before we came in and doorknobs and things of that nature. And, and obviously, if you're older and at risk, we, we want to be wise, right? We want to be wise. And people, we told people if, if they feel they need to stay home or they're at risk or they're sick, sure, don't come. But at the same time, uh, I feel like we give in to the panic, you know, a little bit. Like, like, we're, 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 like we know where we're going, right? So we shouldn't be scared. And if you've seen, I did post like a five-minute video on Facebook, but on the issue, you can look that up on, on the church page if you'd like to. But there's two aspects to it, and I say this. From the government standpoint, you have to remember, they, they do need to be concerned because they're looking at the big picture, okay? So... Remember, so when they're coming out and they're concerned, this and that, they need to be because they're responsible for a lot of people. But that doesn't mean that you need to be terrified and run out and stock up and hide in your house, okay? Because here's the reality. There's a 99.9% chance that you're not going to get coronavirus. And if you catch it, you know, there's a 99% chance you're going to survive it. So why are we all freaked out? As I told a couple of people this morning, drive safe on your way to church because you're like a thousand times more likely to get in a car accident than the kiss of coronavirus on the way here, okay? But, but here's, the, here's the reality of looking at it from the government standpoint, right? Even though if it's 0.1% of 1%, right? So just so 0.001, not 1%, but 1% of 1%. With just the U.S. alone, with 300 and around 350,000 people in our, in, in, the, in our country, not talking about the world, 0.1% of 1% is still, what is that, 30,000, 300,000? Trying to do the math here. You know, that's still a big, I think it's 300,000. That's still a lot of people, right? That's still a lot of people. Uh, no, I think it's 30,000. So 1% would be 300,000. And then a 1% of 1% would be 30,000. So that's still a lot of people, right? That even if 99.9% of the people caught it, that's still a lot of people that are going to get sick. And if you're at risk and not healthy and your immune system's compromised, you could die. So we, we want to be sensitive to that. And we want to understand that. We want to take precaution and, and, again, not be wise. But, again, like I said, looking at those numbers, right, do I... Uh, do I, as a person, panic when there's a 0.1% of getting struck by lightning or if 
of uh, getting on a car accident the way here. No, I don't. You know what I mean? We don't live like that in any other way. When flu season breaks out, we don't lock ourselves in our homes. You know what I mean? When uh, it's raining outside and accidents are tenfold, you know, likely to increase, uh, maybe we stay home a little often more, but if we really got somewhere to be, we're going to go out, right? So most of us live our lives and we just, you know, we just, we just trust the Lord day to day. So this should be the same thing. This should be the same way. We're just trusting the Lord. We're living uh, wise, right? We're not being stupid. But at the end of the day, we got to trust God. And we got to not only trust God for ourselves, but the people are looking at us, right? How we're reacting. And so it's very easy to say, I believe in the sovereignty of God, Right? Uh, I'm an optimist. I believe in the future and, and, and the future kingdom and his kingdom come and all these great things. And then, you know, when something like this hits, everybody's terrified and scared and backs off. You know what I mean? And, and, and they're just like, I, I got to, you know, douse my house in Lysol and just have a, a fumigator that sprays it out continually. I mean, people are, are, are going to extreme measures, right? And again, I guess we can never be too careful. But don't let it run your life. Don't let it ruin your life. And as, like I said, I'm more concerned with the testimony we're given out of saying, uh, we believe that God is sovereign. We believe God controls all things. And yet we're just, everything's closing up. Everything's down. You know, like we're, we're, we're living like it's martial law over here, you know. And, and uh, I'm thinking of these, the businesses that are going to be impacted, right? You know, the, the economic consequences of not only people's businesses, businesses, their livelihoods, some of these countries, these smaller countries are probably going to fold over this. You know what I mean? Their whole economic systems are going to tank. And the, the, the consequences of that are going to be lot, around a lot longer than this virus is, right? Most likely. You know, most likely by the summertime, when it heats up, viruses die off. That's their natural course. So we might be dealing with this for another month or so, but... It's probably going to run its course like most things. But, like I said, what about the economy? Which, that's not a spiritual issue. That's not our main concern as Christians. But, like I said, we, you know, when we leave here, uh, it's up to you. I mean, it's, it's not something mandated. But I'd say, hey, you know, stop at those places. Eat out. Uh, if, if you're at risk, maybe not, right? You use wisdom. But, um, if every, like I said, I told somebody yesterday, if everybody's running in to Costco and there's a thousand people around you, I don't see the big deal of, you know, going to eat out or, you know, going to church or going anywhere else. You're already exposed to all these people. And as I walked into Walmart yesterday and looked at some of the people around, I was like, I'm actually kind of scared to be in here, right? I'm going to kind of put my finger, you know, because people didn't look too healthy. They were like running out and they're on the medicine aisle and I'm, and I'm just like, you know, this is the people I need to be afraid to be around, you know, but that's where everybody's running to to get home and, and incubate the virus if they get it, I guess, you know. But enough, you know, again, it's not stuff I planned on talking on, but I think we need to because we're going to, who knows when the, the, the chaos will end. But we, you know, we have an obligation. And it's not, because here's the thing, the coronavirus is going to come and go, but we're going to have other crises. We had 9-11, um, you know, that, that's the one I can think of closest to this where people are just really kind of scared and what's going on. And, you know, if you, there's been a lot of these church shootings lately, church bombings, and people are often like, we got to do something and we need armed guards and this and that. And at the end of the day, again, we don't want to be stupid. We don't want to be unwise, right? But there comes a point 
or we just need to trust God. The Belgian Confession, let me put this up for you. Article 29 talks about the obligations of, of, of church members. And the, the confession here was written by uh, a guy who himself was martyred. He wrote this to, to prove that the Protestants, the Reformers, weren't heretics. They were under Catholic rule, Roman Catholic rule at the time. And, and he wrote this document, the Belgian Confession, to say, this is what we believe. We're not teaching heretical things. But at the end of the day, we, we believe this so much that whether you put our bodies to be burned or cut out our tongues, we will not deny the things here written. And so this is Article 29, and it says this. We believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved and there is no salvation apart from it, people ought not to withdraw from it, content to be by themselves regardless of their status or condition, but all people are obliged to join and unite with it keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build up one another according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. And to preserve this unity more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to God's word, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church in order to join this assembly wherever God has established it, even if civil authorities and royal decrees forbid and death and physical punishment result. And so all who withdraw from the church or do not join it act contrary to God's ordinance. And it's one thing to say this in a time of peace. But as I said, they were going through these things in a time of persecution, in a time where they were literally being killed and their families were literally being killed. Not a few dozen Hundreds, thousands of them were being martyred for their faith. Talk about fear of going to church. You didn't know if you were going to be arrested and killed. A man named Martin uh, Ogvier, he was captured, him and his family. His, him, his wife, his son, and his daughter were all sentenced to death for holding to the Belgian Confession, holding to the, the Protestant Reformed teaching of Scripture. And in his letter from jail, he said this. He was beheaded later, but this was his final letter. He says, Flee from those who teach you the wide road, and hold in reverence those who teach the straight way, for it will take you to salvation. This is what our brother G, whom you well know, that's a reference to the writer himself, has, it, has up till the present very faithfully and with exceptional diligence proclaimed to you. So, Debrez, his last name, was a writer of the Belgian Confession. Or De, I think it's Debrez or Debrez. And uh, refers to him here as Brother G. Then you don't want to put somebody's name out there, right, in a document that, uh, that they're probably going to read before they send it out. But he tells them, you know, don't go the wide road. And makes the scriptural reference to the narrow path. Um, and he's writing this knowing he's writing to people who are under persecution. He's writing to people who are under persecution unto death. 
if they go to church. And there were some. Sometimes people say, why didn't they just like believe this to themselves and then just pretend outwardly? There was a group like that. They would continue going to you know, the Roman Catholic Mass and inwardly they believed the Reformed teachings. And this was part of who he was writing to, saying, don't sell out, don't be like you know, them that would, would deny outwardly the Lord. Right? It's better to live and die in the Lord than to deny the true teaching of Scripture. And you have to remember at this time, it's, it's hard for us to fathom that, that the, the, the church-state relationship between uh, that was going on in those times. So it's, we think today, the Catholic Church down the street, like, well, how would they march around and start killing people? But you got to remember, the entire government was united with, with them. So they're trying to say, hey, we want our entire city or, or state to all be here and submit to us. So it was a way of submission to the state, just like it was in Rome, right? That's why they were against the Christians, because they wouldn't worship the pagan gods. So they, from the government standpoint, they want uniformity. Everyone submit and obey. And so the Christians were always a threat to that because their king was Christ, and they had to obey the word of God rather than the word of man. And in his, this last paragraph I'll put up here for you, this was his last sentence, the same letter by Martin Ogver. He says, lift up your hearts, my brothers. Take courage. It's done. I've endured the last assault. I pray You don't forget the holy doctrine of the gospel and all the good teachings which you have heard from our brother Guy. Show that you have received them in your hearts and not only in your ears. Follow us. We're going on ahead. And do not be and do not fear, for God will certainly not forsake you. Goodbye, my brothers. That's a powerful statement, is it not? One who is sentenced to death, but yet encouraging others to not deny the gospel, to not give up the fight, that he has fought the fight. He ran the race and fought the fight. And as I said, it's not only what we say, it's not only how we live. Those are all testimonies, and those are important testimonies. And we should never say the wrong things or live the wrong actions, because those undermine God's word and God's person in God's kingdom as well. But as I said, it's also in these times of persecution. It's in these times of suffering and these times of death. C.S. Lewis once wrote that uh, God speaks to us in many ways. And he, don't quote me on this, but he, to paraphrase him here, right? He's, he says he, he, he uh, whispers to us in, in our pleasures, but Ultimately, he shouts to us in our pain. It's pain is God's megaphone, he says, to rouse a deaf world. For without pain, without suffering, without need, people would never look to God. And so all these things, whether pestilence, drought, lack of material and you know, wealth and money and, and having things in our, in our own life, all these things are meant to drive us to Christ to drive us to God, to make us look to him to provide our needs, not to fear, not to run to the world, not to look for other means to provide for ourselves or to trust in something to protect us. It's to look to God.
there was a story I shared maybe two, three years back. You guys probably remember it, but I think it's worth noting quickly. There was a group of martyrs, modern-day martyrs. Uh, I believe it was in Syria. I don't even remember. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Syria, but it was one of the Middle Eastern countries. And these men had been kidnapped. They were workers, uh, but ISIS kidnapped them. Okay, and so I think there was about 20 of them. And so ISIS had kidnapped him and ultimately said, we're going to behead you all if you don't renounce the faith. And none of them did. And if you remember, the people from their villages, their families, you know, were seen on news reports, not so much sad that their family member had been killed, but they were just so happy that their family member didn't forsake Christ. That I just think of this as a pastor, right? Um, growing your people, getting them to a place where they can, where their faith is strong, and that's that's what they said. That they had done something right as as a village, as a people, as a group, right? that their people can undermine and, and stand through that time of, of persecution. And so they saw it as a proud thing, not a sad thing. But the thing that I, the reason I bring it up and the part that was so moving or, or so powerful to me was that there was a man there that had been captured with him. One of the 20 men was not a Christian. And in fact, I believe he was, one of the guys working with him, was Islamic. But, so all he had to do was say, hey, I'm not a Christian, I'm not one of these, and they would have let him go. But after seeing, and because they kept him till the end, after seeing how the Christians lived, he said, their God is my God. Their God is my God. So he, he also died as a martyr. And that's, who knows, you know, the time period, like a week, two weeks, that... He was exposed to the gospel, and at what point it moved in his heart. But again, it was not just the life of those men, but it was their willingness to die for the gospel that ultimately was the biggest testimony, was the thing that ultimately converted him. Let's look at Psalms 124 here in closing. In fact, let's read it together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us, when the waters would have overwhelmed us, the stream would have gone over our soul, then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. To quote Steve Larson on this closing doxology of uh, For thine is the kingdom, 
He says this. I don't have it up here, but I'm just going to read it to you. This climatic doxology begins with a passionate declaration of God's sovereignty. When a believer prays, Jesus said he should conclude by affirming, for yours is the kingdom. This robust pronouncement asserts that God both possesses and presides over his vast kingdom. He is the sovereign king who exercises supreme authority and unrestricted dominion over an immense empire. Certainly this reign includes both the realm of providence and the sphere of salvation. He commands all the affairs of mankind, even the intricate inner workings of the entire universe. From his throne above, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And the thing for us here today, whether you're here watching live, whether you're in another church or wherever you may be, the question that every believer has to ultimately ask himself is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will? Because I'm not so much worried about coronavirus, as I said, I think it's here today and gone tomorrow. But we do need to trust him in, the, in that time too. But there's going to be bigger things. Like, Do you trust him in your marriage? Do you trust him in, in not being married, right? In, in, in bringing the right person of, of, of not... Uh, of, of whatever trial you're going through at school, at work, as I said, in your family, where your kids may be. These are tough things that you all deal with. So the, biggest, the bigger challenge to, to the church is, is, is coming, right? It's not, people see this as a challenge, but we're in a time, especially in our country, where, where we have swayed very far from God. And there's no future for the world or for America apart from Christ. And people are looking to politics and policies and politicians to fix America. But the problem is there's a lot more than one policy or one thing that needs fixed. And then some of these things are unfixable if we blaspheme the Lord, if we deny the Lord and we fail to live out in his ways. So let us be people that live, that breathe, that one day will die to the glory of God, knowing that our death brings about, ultimately, the salvation of our souls, that final culmination, if you will, um, where we are united with the Lord, not only for time, but for eternity. Let us pray. Father, we pray that we would have the courage, Lord, to live out in faith for your kingdom, for your glory, for your will. Give us the strength to live, to die, to eat, drink, breathe, sleep, everything, Lord, for your name. And I pray we would better understand what those things are. Help us as a church to Know those and teach those and embrace those. For oftentimes we just don't know what your will is that we might do it. So I pray, Lord, make us a faithful people. Teach us your word. Grow us in your grace that we may be faithful servants and hear 
at the end of time. Well done, good and faithful servant. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. Amen. We're not going to take an offering this morning, as I said.